This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hey, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric Shanauer. My uh, work is, uh, I'm a cartoonist and I draw and write Age of Bronze, the story of the Trojan War, the comic book. I also write Oz comic books for Marvel. I picked up the, uh, the wonderful Wizard of Oz. I, uh, is that the first one you did for Marvel? I have a feeling it's not. That's the first Oz book that I did for Marvel. Uh, you you did some Oz books before that though, didn't you? Yes, this I is... did. Back in the eighty late eighties uh-huh. and early nineties, I did some Oz graphic novels, which I both wrote and drew. Yeah, this one came out in uh, nineteen ninety. Oh no, 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 that's not right. I think it came out two thousand nine. Yeah, the Wizard of Oz. Gorgeous. Oh, thanks, thanks, Jesse. I I I wouldn't if I hadn't seen your name on the cover of this one and. The other one, if you know, you just pick up a comic and start reading. Um, I wouldn't have known it's the same artist. It it it's completely different style from Age of Bronze. Well, I I just I'm the writer, not the artist. For the oh, Marvel. Doy, doy. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Oh my God, I just assumed you were the artist as well. No, Scotty Young is the artist for there. the Marvel Oz series. You're right. I think he's doing a terrific job. They didn't actually ask me to draw it. They just asked me to write it when Marvel sent me the email a few years ago about that project. So I never even had the chance to draw it. It's sort of lucky that they did only ask me to write it because I just didn't have the time to draw it. But I do have time to write it, and I'm really happy to be working on the project. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, there's more than a dozen Oz books to do, right? Yeah, uh, there are. Actually, in the official series, there are 40 books. Oh, my God. The, the original author, L. Frank Baum, just wrote 14 of them, though. But the series was continued after his death. I don't know how many we're going to do for Marvel. Um, I hope to get through at least the books by L. Frank Baum, which is 14. Um, you know, they're selling really well, so... I sp- we're going to keep going as long as we can. Um, Scotty, young uh, artists, having a really good time. And at this point, I sort of can't imagine doing this series without him. Yeah, I, he's, 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 I, I was thinking it was you, and I was thinking, he really has changed his style. But um, <laughs> um, it, it, it is completely different, but it's gorgeous. It's, um, it's also color, which, which I, yeah. I've been reading uh, Age of Bronze for a while, and... and um, I'm used to black and white. I like black and white, but I was thinking, my God, man, this this guy does color too, and um, it, it they they look painted rather than just colored. Is that how he's doing it? Well, Jean Francois Beaulieu is the colorist. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been working with Scotty even before this project, before the Oz books. Um, I'm not. I think it's all colored on computer. Wow. I I, I don't know. I'm pretty sure it is, yeah. Um, but yeah, the color is gorgeous. I just feel like this project sort of is... I just just sort of lucked out into getting all these 
great people to work on it. I don't know how I stumbled into this situation, but I certainly am glad to be in it. Um, when I first got the job, when they when Marvel first asked me, I had no idea who was going to be drawing it. And when they said Scotty Young, I didn't know his work before, and they sent me some samples, and I just thought, oh, well, I guess, you know, it, it'll be all right, I suppose, but I had no idea what he was going to do. I mean, I had visions of some artist coming in and just taking my script and doing whatever he wanted so that mm-hmm. Dorothy, Dorothy could have had, like, huge tits or something or <laughs> toting a gun and blowing people away. I didn't know what it was going to uh, look like. That, so. that, would, that would not fit with this script. Um, which which I am pleased to say is different from every is it's it's even different from the book that I remember and I know I know in the introduction you talk about um, you know you're drawing a lot from the book the original source it, you know rather than the plays or the movie or any of the subsequent comics that have been adapted uh, you know I think there's a classics illustrated one isn't there yeah 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 uh, so this is this is uh, compl- going back to the original source and. Um, the the scene that stands out to him for me is the scene in which the the Tin Woodsman tells how he became the Tin Tin Woods how he became the Tin Woodsman, um, where he says, yeah. uh, you know, I my axe was enchanted and I, you know, it just cut off my leg and he keeps using he keeps using the axe and of course it keeps chopping off parts of his body <laughs> until he's got none left and yeah. I thought this is this is awesome. Um, just a, it's a, such a, uh, it's it, it reminded me how much you know. I I know you're, it, I I would almost say obsessed with Oz, right? You love Oz. <laughs> you're like Mister well, Oz. I guess you could basically. call it a. I guess you could call it obsession. Um, yeah, I've loved the I lo- I've loved Oz and the Oz books since I was six years old. I saw the MGM movie with Judy Garland on TV and. I thought it was great, and then when I, the bookmobile came to our school, and we were allowed to check out one book, and I found a kid's adaptation of The Wizard of Oz, and checked that out, and had my parents read it to me, and then we were in this bookstore, and there were four Oz books on the shelf, but only one of them was The Wizard of Oz, and I had no idea there were other books, and... I looked in the other ones, and I loved the illustrations, um, which were by John R. Neal. And I got one, and my parents read to me a chapter a night. And after that, I was hooked. There was a list of 40 books in the front of that book, and I'm like, I want all of these. Mm-hmm. So it was sort of point of no return at that by then. Um, it's and, like the true American fantasy, like... I'm trying to think of another one that sort of, you know, uh, is the first American fantasy that is is truly American. I mean, this one's set in the United States, at least at the beginning. It stars an American. Yeah. It's wholly, it's, it uses some of the, some of the um, you know, it's got witches, some of the European tropes. But, you know, Scarecrow, that's, that's you know, a, a Scarecrow in a cornfield, that's as American as you can get in my mind. And um, Yeah. Um, L. Frank Baum was was consciously trying to do something a little different. And in his introduction to the book, he talks about the European tradition of fairy tales and folk tales and how he was trying to 
get away from that and make something modern for today's child. Of course, it's over 100 years old by by this time. So mm-hmm. it's little, 110 years old, isn't it? Yeah, it's a little old-fashioned to us at this point. But, um, yeah, the, Oz is considered the first real American fantasy. Um, of course, there were fantasies written in the U.S. before The Wizard of Oz, but it's the first one that achieved great popularity and has remained a classic and that we still know today. The other, the other uh, thing that's, other than, you know, the gorgeous visuals and the, the whole sequence um, uh, or sequences set in the Emerald City itself, which, which really lends itself to, I mean, there's so much green used. It's like they almost run out of green ink, you know, um, it's like six or seven pages go by, everything's green. And then they, you know, they go out and it's, it's back to normal. Um, yeah. Oh, uh, the, green. I've yeah, seen but, so many. Oh, sorry. No. <laughs> That's okay. I'm sorry. I'm interrupting you. I've, I've seen so many uh, versions of the Wizard of Oz, like illustrated versions, where there's just a really bad use of green because that can be such a problem, that, that uh, episode in the Emerald City where everything has to be green and it can be a little, get a little nauseating if the artist isn't really, really conscious of not trying to use sort of sickly, sickly um, colored greens. Well, uh, it does. It does run the range. It's from basically brown and yellows to emerald and and forest and all the all the the possible greens that are out there. But yeah, yeah. it's it's. Well, I, I I specifically said in my script, please be very 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 careful <laughs> making when you make everything green. And I mean, I just they pull, when I was writing the script for Wizard, I had no idea what it was going to look like. But when I started seeing the art, I was just so happy that I thought it was going to be, oh, this is going to be good. I don't know if anyone's going to look at it, anyone's going to buy this, but it's going to be good. And it was, and Mm -hmm. people did buy it, to my everlasting surprise. (laughs) It's it's really beautiful. And and it is... um, It is... Far different from what I remember the the book being, but it also has all the all the. I, I guess it's the visualization. I just didn't visualize it the way that um, that you have here, and I guess your artist has visualized it. But um, it it's got the it's got a lot of the touches from the original story, and it's it's just gorgeous. Well, yeah, thank you, Jesse. Staying faithful to the book was actually a really important part of the project from the beginning. Um, A few years ago, Marvel had this imprint called Marvel Illustrated, which were adaptations of classic literature, and The Wizard of Oz was supposed to be one of these, but either they were phasing it out by the time this began publication, or else they saw the artwork and decided we're not going to put this in, in this imprint, which sort of, you know, whenever anybody does that sort of thing nowadays, tries to do classics as comics, it sort of gets ignored, and I think Marvel's most recent uh, effort was getting ignored. I mean, I never saw... They, they did things like Treasure Island and Man in the Iron mm-hmm. Mask, and I actually didn't see them for sale in the no. comic store whenever I went in, and I never saw reviews of them. I was sort of aware they were doing them, but it wasn't something I was paying attention to, and I think that's what usually happens. People don't pay much attention to these things, and I... Scotty even said that he turned down this job several times um, 
because he didn't want to be caught in some ghetto where no one was going to see his work because it was going to be, you know, this classics uh, imprint. But then Marvel took the, their Marvel Illustrated is gone and uh, they never even published when, when the Wizard of Oz was being serialized in the, in comics before it was collected. Um, that never had the Marvel Illustrated imprint. It was always just a regular Marvel book, which I don't know if that made any difference, but people actually bought it and saw it. So It's a real shame because I, 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 I really like the idea of, of Marvel doing a separate imprint. Just, you know, like the what Vertigo did for DC Comics made me read DC Comics again. And and uh, and I, I picked up, uh, I actually, I think I, it was the last purchase I did on Amazon, uh, last year, I, I got uh, Marvel's Illustrated The Iliad uh, uh-huh. by Roy Thomas. Uh-huh. And that came up because I was I was probably looking up something Roy Thomas on Amazon. I said, oh, he did The Iliad? Oh, awesome. And uh-huh. I, I had to get that. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a smaller format than um, I was expecting when it came. I guess I could have looked at the measurements, but... Um, beautiful, beautiful, and it's, it's it's quite faithful, right? And then that led me to you, which uh, I I assume oh, really? I saw there. Yeah, and I, and it it was sort of in the back of my mind. Oh, this is something I should get at the comic book store, and and I just didn't ever see it there. And and if you don't see it, you don't think of it, and you don't pick it up. But right. and then one day they uh, image did um, I guess some dollar reprints. Yeah. Of Last um, spring. Yeah. yeah. And my comic book store brought all of those in, and uh, they priced them up to a buck fifteen for Canada, which is <laughs> difficult, but it's okay. Um, and I picked up a bunch of those, and the one that stood out was was yours, and uh, the first first issue of Age of Bronze, um, which right. is eventually serialized into the or not serialized, collected into the Thousand Ships, the first yeah. volume. And that's the one that said, "Oh my God, this is this is gorgeous." I'm going to have to get the the trade, and I got the trade. And then um, I was at the library, and the library had them, and I thought, "Oh my God, they've got they've got them here," <laughs> which means I I can uh, keep my copy nice, and also uh, you know pound through pound through these issues over and over again. Um, and that's actually what I I wanted to. I wanted to, I thought, this guy's awesome, i got to tell people about him. And then I was reading your introduction, or not introduction, the, the conclusion at the afterward, end. Yeah. yeah, the afterword. And uh, I think the second paragraph, you're saying, uh, this book came about by me reading, uh, listening to an audiobook. And I yeah. thought, that's awesome. I got yeah. So, um, can you tell me about how, how it all happened, to remind people of what you said in the afterword? Sure. I listened to lots of books on audio uh, while I'm working, when I'm inking or painting, and back in February 91, I was listening to a book called The March of Folly from Troy to Vietnam by Barbara Tuckman, who's a Pulitzer Prize winning historian, and uh, I, her, her chapter on the Trojan War was about the folly of the Trojans bringing the wooden horse into Troy, even though there were all these signs that told them it was a really stupid idea. Uh, and I realized as, while I was listening to this that there are many different versions of the story of the Trojan War. Um, 
that have been told over and over and over again throughout the centuries, and many of them are contradictory. And I just thought, boy, what an interesting project that would be if I could gather up every single version of the Trojan War and put them all together into one long, coherent version. At the same time, reconciling all the contradictions between different versions and also setting it in the correct historical period, which would be the late Bronze Age, because so many depictions of the Trojan War are from later periods, from, the, from classical Greece, where you get fluted columns and people in these huge helmets. Um, that, and it, I just thought if I took it back into the correct period, um, it would look weird, a little weird to people, but... It, might be surprising so that they pay attention and go, God, this doesn't look like what the Trojan War looks like, what I think of the Trojan War as. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought, boy, that would be a really massive project. It would take me like probably like five years or something. Uh-huh. I think you underestimated there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I sort of put it in a, I wrote some notes and I put them in a, in a file. and But I kept but this idea stayed in my mind, and after a few months, uh, I, I would go into bookstores for other purposes, and I would run across books that had something to do with the Trojan War, and I would sort of go, hmm, I still have this idea, and I started buying books and looking at them, and I finally decided, okay, I have enough enthusiasm to see this massive project through to the end, and decided to just sit down and start working on it and that's what <laughs> since about 1992 that's what I've been doing um, for a long time I was still doing other work while I was researching the story and preparing for it and trying to sell the project but since 98 I've been working on it uh, that's my main main thing I've, I've done a lot of other things actually too at the same time other comics and book, book illustration and things and I, I'd never seen it on the. I'd never seen it on my comic book shelf during its initial run, and um, that made me just you know seeing seeing this thing fully formed in the first first uh, collection. I thought, wow, this is amazing. How come nobody's talking about it? But uh, reading the outside, it sounds to me like they were talking about it. You know, they've got all these amazing uh, you know quotes on it from Publishers Weekly, Entertainment Weekly. You know, people are talking about it, and just net. I'm not in that circle, I guess. Yeah, or you're just not conscious of it. I don't. I don't know. You know, Eisner Awards and all that stuff. I I, I read comics, but I, I I guess I don't I don't uh, read enough of them to. Uh, you know, I I know a lot, a lot of the names, but I I just don't know who they. You know, I know. I people are always talking about Kirby. I know he's dead, and I know he did superheroes, but that's about all I know. Um, because I, when I, whenever I read comics, it was it was basically I was reading either Conan or uh, I don't know uh, Batman or so, something very specific rather than reading very widely. And um, and since I guess the '90s, um, it's been I, I'm reading authors, so Garth Ennis and Neil Gaiman, and. Uh, and then I, I'll look for new authors. And anything Roy Thomas, I'll try and pick up as well. But um, now I got a new one, Eric Schenauer. <laughs> okay. 
Well, good. Thanks, Jesse. I don't know what to do about publicity, you know. Um, I do as much as I can that I have time for, and... Uh, I don't know. I, yeah, I other, than, other than come on this podcast and hopefully a few <laughs> pick it up. I try to get as much high profile reviews as I can, and I get some. But if you, if someone's not looking for it or it's not going to hit their consciousness at that particular moment, I don't know what to do. I guess um, Image doing the the dollar reprint specials last spring worked for me. <laughs> Got you. So. Yeah, it, it just like if it's not on the shelf, I can't see it and and yeah. get up and look, you know, flip through it and see if it's something I'm interested in. Yeah. Um, but uh, I guess I guess I'm, uh, you know, it's it's not it's not that it's not there. I guess it's that it has to be there and it also has to hit you a few times, you know, yeah. because unless you're specifically looking, you know, you're you're gazing at a thousand books on a shelf and unless you're specifically looking for something. Um, and yeah. it's been ticking over in the back of your unconscious for a while. Um, it won't. It won't stand out to you. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like. I like. Uh, my understanding is, image is. Uh, you you get all the money from from this after you know certain things. You own the book. It's not uh, you know going to Marvel or DC. It's it's creator owned, and it's creator run. Yes, it is. I have nobody telling me what to do, which is a good thing in many ways and also not so good a thing when it comes to actually uh, the editing process because I don't have anyone to count on except myself. I have, don't have another pair of eyes looking over the material. Um, I do have my partner who reads the, reads the pages before I actually scan them and send them to the publisher usually although he's usually reading them like the night before. I'm like, please just look this over to tell me I haven't done anything really stupid. So <laughs> I'm sometimes making corrections just before I'm sending it in, and I can never make any really big ones. Um, uh, I, that's the disadvantage of not having an editor. I think I the, the good part, though, is, is that maybe you get to say a, a little bit what goes into the back of the book, because you're doing something I really like, which is providing introduction... Um, every book I've looked at that you've done, you know, that's actual collection, uh, has had an introduction and uh, or and or uh, details at the back, like maps. Why don't people put more maps in? You've got you've got a, a great big map at the beginning. You've got a huge bibliography at the end, which I think is awesome. This is like your this is what's on your shelf, right? Yeah. <laughs> Usually, it's well, uh, some of the books I just look at in libraries, um, so they're not on my shelves. But yeah, I have too many books. <laughs> I don't even have room to fit any more reference material into my studio anymore. It's just piling up on the floors. But actually, the bibliography, I mean, while the bibliography is very important to me for the creative process, actually putting the list into the collections, I don't know how... Um, important that is, or whether anybody actually looks at that list and then actually then actually goes and looks at the original books that I've, I'm drawing from. I um, haven't looked at all of them, but I've certainly I've uh, a lot of the public domain ones I've looked at on um, on uh, tried to find them on Google Google Books and um, you know just the illus you know to find the illustrations see what's going on in there and 
and just the facts like um who who's written about the trojan war in you know since since the age of bronze or you know in the in the 20 20th or 19th or 18th century who who was writing about it and that's all interesting to me so the copyright dates you know 1870 the death of paris by william morris that's cool that's a, and then and then that influence influences your you know you've got uh in the second book i've got in my hand here it's got a, the poem alfred lord tennyson a dream of fair women that opens the the book and that fits fits right in and it 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 totally does. Don't stop putting them in the back if you've got room, because I, I'm... <laughs> I won't stop. <laughs> um, but even better, I think, even better than the bibliography is the genealogical chart, which is crazy. It's unbelievably... In, I mean, I guess all genealogical charts are crazy like this, but um, it's it's just crazy to have, you know, to, to see who's related to who and how... and. But it's it's very I, useful. I actually hope, yeah, I actually put in the genealogical charts as an aid for readers because I'm there's there's so many characters in this story that uh, I think if I, I, people would just get lost, I think I would get lost if I weren't the creator. Um, I think the genealogical chart and the pronunciation guide are really important. That's that's useful too. Yeah, on uh, on this on on. <laughs> on the spot or whatever, you know, keep them up to date with what's going on in the story, especially since for the comic book, since it only comes, it's very irregular in its publication. I don't, if I know if I were reading it in the comic book version, um, I would not be able to remember from one issue to the next, what was going on. Um, the, uh, graphic novel version, since, you get a much larger chunk. I think you can get get into it more. But still, since they only come out every couple of years, um, in the graphic novel version, you need some sort of reminder of what, <clears throat> what in the world's going on here. That's why I put in the genealogical charts, the pronunciation guys, and the well, what what what's happened in our story so far. I hope they're helpful. I hope people can keep on track. I don't know. I'm so immersed in it. I know basically what's going on every second. Although, you know, once in a while when I'm working, I have to look back and see something that happened in a previous issue. <laughs> I, I look at it and I go, oh my goodness, I, I forgot I wrote that. Um, wow, I didn't know. <laughs> I, I totally <laughs> forgotten. Um, one, one, I mean, no major things, but recently I was, a couple issues ago, I had put in a scene with Cressida looking at the stars and talking about the stars and then I happened to flip back to I think issue 11 for some other reason and there was Cressida talking about the stars and I'm like wow that's weird <laughs> I totally she forgot. loves stars that girl this is this is like some you know symbolism thing where I mean she's always ha- has this star fixation I have to like play this out so I don't know how I'm going to use that, but there will be more more of Cressida talking about the stars, since obviously this is some interest she has that I didn't even realize until recently. It's a, it's a it's it's really interesting because I know a lot. I mean, I, I love I love the Iliad and I love the Odyssey and I love uh, all the stories that go with it, but I've never seen anything any project like this before in that it's trying to reconcile all of that 
trying to make it all fit together with all the all the many thousands of characters really that are in there and, and all the uh, uh, let's talk about the how you did the um how you're trying to reconcile the the uh, trying to say not the mythological the the supernatural absence. element absence. yeah the absence or the presence of the super see i think you said in your introduction um or your afterward that you know you, you made it questionable the supernatural element um you know what 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 factor does the supernatural play in the story well for cassandra it's 100% real right <laughs> Um, well, but I, for the reader, I, I, it's a little less clear. Uh, so how, how are you doing this balancing act? My intention is to have no supernatural elements in the story. Um, of course, the characters believe in their religions. They believe that visions and are possible, that, that they can get messages from the gods. Um the gods are real to them. Um, depending on the character, they can be more or less real. I mean, it's just supposed to be like life. Mm-hmm. Um, if people believe in God or re- religion or in the supernatural, then they believe in it. And if, if you don't believe in it, then you don't. Um, I don't think there's any proof in the world for the supernatural. Um, and in Age of Bronze, there's no proof for it. But if that's what you believe, that's what you believe. Um, but that, that's a very different take than, than, you know, people approach, approach you know, the Iliad, that the gods are there now talking. They're, they're, yes, of course, it's very different from the Iliad, where the gods come down from Mount Olympus and fight, actually fight on the battlefield among all the humans. Um, which I, I think is, is also awesome, because it makes us think, you know, why is that guy... In that, in that berserker rage, oh, he's got the god in him, right? And that's I, that's the way you're sort of dealing with it, too. Um, that's the way I would be interpreting it. And it was, how did they write this story down and, and make it make sense? You know, the guy appears into the village and, and you say, oh, he's had some weird stuff to say. Oh, that was really a god, right? Disguised as a person. And it's almost, it's like it's in the Iliad, right? That the people are, and the Odyssey, that the people who are supernatural are appearing in human form so it's like as if it's been interpreted wrong right you can see why someone might yeah. Uh, yeah write it down that it's a god when really it's just a guy who you know right. uh, is a little bit yeah. nuts or whatever yeah. Yeah, um, well in, it, it happens both ways in in homer's iliad where um homer will say that a god is appearing and it looks like a, one of the humans who's part of the story. But he also just does have the gods come down and just appear as gods and start fighting with each other. And, and the humans can fight with them, too. And suddenly you're fighting with this god that looks like a god. Um, the tradition of removing the gods from the story of the Trojan War isn't original with me. It's been going on for thousands of years as well. People have specifically retold the story without the gods to take everything down to a human level. Um, it just depends on what's the fashion of the time. Um, and uh, so I'm not really doing anything new overall at that point. Just my personal version of it is done in a new way. And combining 
all the different versions of the Trojan War is not exactly a new new thing either. Other people have done it. Um, I think I've my effort is try is attempting to do it more comprehensively than I've ever seen anywhere else, using sources from all different time periods. Often I, I see versions that are trying to include everything that eliminates a lot of medieval versions of the story, versions that I'm trying to include. Uh, for instance, the Troilus and Cressida uh, part of the story, which is actually huge, became huge, huge during the um, Middle Ages and Renaissance, um, that often gets eliminated because it is considered very late additions to this story. But I've, I'm, I would never imagine, never dream of getting rid of it in my version in Age of Bronze, simply because it's so firmly established. And I'm the point of one of the points of Age of Bronze is to put everything in there, everything in the and the kitchen sink. Yeah, it's 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 uh, it, it's shocking when I rem- when I when I went through the um, the Iliad, the Homer's Iliad um, by. Roy Thomas, um, yeah. it, it pr- made me f- remember, yeah, you know, the Trojan horse isn't in the Iliad. It's not. <laughs> that's, no, it's not. That's in something else. And, and, and it's not in the Odyssey, exactly. It, it is, actually, it's at it, the it, very it beginning. The Odyssey. They talk about it for, like, ten lines or something. Yeah. It's very short. But, yeah, it's not, it's not like, um, it's, it, it's not what how you think of it if if you're looking at it as one big story and that's what that's what's kind of cool about what you're doing is you're you're making it one big story and so even uh like the judgment of paris right that's what opens up i guess or or happened right before the i'm not sure does it happen right before the it actually because there's such a huge supernatural element in the in the judgment of paris where the three goddesses come down led by another god to have the beauty contest judged by this human kid human shepherd um i had to figure out a way to deal with that in age of bronze i mean obviously the judgment of paris is such a huge part of the trojan war tradition i had to at least address it somehow yeah, it's the kickoff right but yeah i couldn't uh i couldn't actually deal with it because it's full of gods and goddesses so i had um paris tell it as a story that he talks he had about it as a dream right him this dream that he had and it's just part of his uh seduction technique to get helen um get but, helen away but from i i got the sense and whether whether it really that it happened, happened right before that it happened what? right before that opening panel it, it uh, could have <laughs> it, it but that his I mean, dream he, that's what that's what i I'm, i interpreted it as i guess not <laughs> no it's fine yeah that that's perfectly fine that was actually yeah when when Age of Bronze begins, Paris is asleep, and if this dream actually happened, that was my original intention was that was when the dream happened, right when he's waking up. Um, I mean, I went through several drafts, but my, at one point he was supposed to be awaking from a dream of of the goddess of love telling him that he was going to get Helen. Um, I at one point I cut that out because I didn't think it was a very good opening, but. Yeah, that was my intention. When when Age of Bronze begins, Paris has just had that dream, and that's what he's waking up from. And then, I mean, it, 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 you know, you were talking about how it is a, 
it's a hard. It might be hard for people to keep track when it comes out in regular comic book issues. Um, well, that first one, there's no trouble at all following what's going on, and it's a great opening. I, I love that opening. He he's he's sleeping, and then uh, you know he feels he's being kissed, and then it's a cow, right? Yeah. It's a cow licking his face, and um, and he's a cow. Is he shepherd or cowherd? I can't remember. Well, cowherd, shepherd. Cowherd. Yeah, right. So. Um, uh, and then, and then I started noticing. I think there's a theme of tongues because I, <laughs> I just see this. I, I'm flipping through the pages, and I, I see, you know, there's those lips. Everybody's got lips, right? But uh, it's 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 it, it starts well, with the tongue, got a tongue and then, too. And, well, yeah, but also, you know, they're 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 uh, kissing each other, and um, you know, I think I think there's a scene with um, Paris and uh, Helen just just returned from. Uh, uh, Greece, and um, he's showing her the the sunrise, uh, yeah. and and oh, that, I guess it was the night before they they ha- made passionate love, and and you know everybody's sticking their tongues in each other, and and it's it's visualized, <laughs> right? Because in a in a um, in a novel, you know, it's not visualized, but in a graphic novel or a comic book, it's visualized, and you you can get these visual themes going on. And, and at least that's what I'm seeing there. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, well, I wasn't specifically trying to have a tongue theme going on, but <laughs> I guess it starts with you one. You know, passion. When you're passionately engaged in romantic and sexual situation, there's going to be tongues. And um, it's not in every scene. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just saying <laughs> that's what I spotted. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> you know, sometimes these I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm just doing the best I can and the story's just like this huge freight train that's going and these characters are just doing their thing and I'm just along for the ride, trying to do the best I can and keep up with the story and they just do whatever they want. I mean their story's pretty much established in in outline I know where I'm going and what has to happen what points I have to hit. But along the way, it just it just sort of goes along. Um, there's so many sources it's, it's and so many... It's be a seven-book series, right? It's seven parts. The story is seven parts. Um, right now we're in part three, and I've had to split part three up into separate books. It's going to be at least three of them. Oh, wow. Um, just because I had to get material out there for people to look at, and that... The comic book publication doesn't really sell that well, um, it, it, but the when it comes out in graphic novel form, it really sells well, and um, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't making people wait too long between the graphic novel formats, so I split the third part of the story into three volumes so that there's material out there for people to look at, because they're just ignoring the comics. I guess that's sort of the way the whole industry is going. I mean, people don't read comics anymore. They just read graphic novels. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm afraid that's true. Um, but I, I'm not sure that it's a, it's, a, it's a harder thing for artists, I think. A lot harder for artists because you've got to work a lot longer uh, before you see, you know, people picking up your stuff. And, you know, if, if it's not fruitful, then that, it's uh, scary, Right. Um, yeah. Well, if you're not getting 
if this is your day job and you're not getting paid and you're doing this long, long project and then it tanks, well, <laughs> that's it's a, a big, big problem. problem, a big, big problem. But um, thin, thin, thin volumes. I've, I'll pick up a thin volume of you know a collection of three, three comics. Or uh, I, I love um, Garth Ennis's Battlefield series. The um, he does a lot of World War II comics and um, whatever they put out in a in a uh, any kind of you know, glued binding rather than stapled binding, I'll pick up because I, I just I love Garth Ennis so much, right? Uh-huh. It's it's following it's following the the author, um, and if they've got something on the shelf that I can pick up that isn't you know six thousand dollars before I even crack it open to see see if I like it, I'll pick it up. And I'm not sure this is going to change any, except I'm I'm hoping maybe there's going to be a uh, sort of a color version of the Kindle. If there was a color version of the Kindle, I think you you might see comics as, you know, short narratives come back because you could get it uh instantly delivered like a podcast to your your Kindle device or right. Nook Nook reader or whatever it is, your iPad. Um that sounds really cool and I know there are um apps for for um such comics and such, but uh, they seem to be all the Supermans and the Batmans and the X-Mens, and that's not what I'm really going for. So have you explored the, uh, the iTunes delivery method or anything? Yeah, actually, actually, um, that's happening right now for Age of Bronze. Oh, great. Uh, It's not out yet, but there's a company called Throwaway Horse who has done a few comics already available as apps, and, um, what they're doing is annotated versions, oh. so that when you mouse over a panel, you get background on what's going on in that panel, what the original source is. Oh my god, that sounds awesome! Yeah, I mean, it's perfect for Age of Bronze. The main one they've done is Ulysses by James Joyce. They've done an annotated version of that in oh. color. It's You can look at it on, just search for it. Um, it's on, on your computer right now. Cool. Um, on the internet right now. Um, and they came to me a few months ago and uh, said, would you be interested in something like this for Age of Bronze? And I had been, you know, approached by many different companies who are putting comics on, doing digital editions of comics. And um, I was, I had been planning for years now to do some sort of digital edition of Age of Bronze, even just putting the pages on my own website. Um, but it's been taking, I don't have a lot of time and, and it's been taking me years, actually, to scan all the artwork and uh, clean it up. But when the, when I saw this, uh, their examples of stuff they've already done from Throwaway Horse, I, I just thought, well, this is obviously perfect for Age of Bronze because when you get the annotations of all all the different sources, both the literary sources and the uh, archaeological background for what I'm doing and uh, the guy who's writing all this stuff is um, also putting together uh, sort of explanations of how it all fits together, even beyond what my intentions were. I mean, he's doing an analysis of the story and what what he sees. Um, I don't want to say actually what it what it means, but just sort of <laughs> what commentaries. It, what it, 
Yeah, he's, he's putting together analytical analysis of, of Age of Bronze for these annotations beyond, beyond just the sources that I've used. So I think it's going to be a really valuable tool, especially for um, uh, educational settings. Um, it's it, it's still going to be entertaining because um, we made sure to find someone who could actually write in a way that is engaging and not just dry. Um, so it's going to be a, a very interesting project, uh, Age of Bronze annotated on online. It sounds really good. Um, the big problem right now is we're looking at color because obviously color is much cheaper to do digitally than it is um, in printed, and that's one of the reasons, big reasons why Age of Bronze is black and white is because color was so expensive at the beginning, and I had no idea how well this project was going to sell at the beginning, mm-hmm. and color would have just been prohibitively expensive for a, a series that was just going to tank. Um, so that's one big reason why I was in color. The other reason was I just don't have time to color it. Uh, but we're now we're looking at samples um, to see whether color is going to work. It's going to make or me this, buy, this, buy the books yeah. again when they come well, out in color. <laughs> yeah, and then eventually, once it's in color on digitally, then we can actually use that color to print new versions, new color versions of the books. Um, it's, the international market has especially been uh, asking me. My French publisher and the Spanish publisher have been really wanting color for several years now. So if we can find a way to do it in color, that can also they can also be printed in color eventually too. Um, I don't know whether it's actually going to end up in color, and I may be speaking too soon because so far the color samples I've seen are just not acceptable. And we we're, but we're just in the middle of the process, so we'll see what happens. Um, I I, I was looking at the shelf the other day. You know they. The when comics sell, they they sell well, and one of the things in my local comic book store that is selling well is uh, Neil Gaiman's uh, Sandman. They just did recolors, and I thought they recolored it. Was, wasn't it colored to begin with? It's not even that old. It's like fifteen years old maximum yeah, or something. Then, yeah. so they recolored it, and it actually does look better, or at least different. Um, it right. looks fresh, and right. um, that's. I mean, it might be a blessing in that you started in in black and white because uh, it, it is i'm thinking yeah this is gorgeous in black and white but i also wouldn't mind it in color <laughs> and um and also like you're saying the educational market um i think i think we should get these into classrooms because i've got uh you know i'm just looking one of, one of the things i can see and i think you mentioned is you know the the research you've done you went to troy i saw on your website you took took pictures and you drew drew some uh stuff when you you went to Asia Minor. Yeah. That must have been awesome. Well, it was. Awesome's a pretty good word for it. I I describe it as magnificent. It's one of the most magnificent things I've ever done in my life was to spend 12 days at the site of Troy and hike around the area and see all this stuff. See the place where the story took place if it actually did take place. Um, Something took place. Well, yeah, there definitely were conflicts in and around the area in the Bronze Age, just because that's what happened back then. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we don't know exactly what gave rise to the, the myth of the Trojan War, um, whether the characters were actual people or whether there were, it was just some conflict that was the, the basic kernel of truth in the story. Um, but yeah, and I actually I was just in Greece last month um, and traveling to some of the Bronze Age sites in Greece, which I had never seen before, to Mycenae and Pylos and Tiryns. Um, and that was very exciting too, uh, the Lion Gate at Mycenae. Yeah. I've seen, you know, I've been seeing pictures of it for years and years, but finally I actually got to go there and stand next to it and touch it. And I took a lot of video there too and made some sketches. Yeah, it's, it's in your, your book, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I've drawn, I had to draw all these places, including Troy, before I ever went there. Um, but even though I had drawn them, I mean, I knew what they looked like. Because I've seen pictures, I've seen video, I've done as much armchair traveling as I could to try to get all the details right, try to make sure, try to get the feeling right, but it's nothing like actually being there and just standing there and seeing how things are, feeling the air, feeling the wind, feeling how the sun beats on your skin when you're in the place feeling the temperature, actually walking across the plains around Troy to get a feeling for how far the characters in the story would have had to walk between certain points. Mm, yeah, I never um, even thought about that, but this, yeah, I mean, you that's can something you can't pick up just by, uh, just by yeah, looking I can, at maps. I can look at charts and see how, and read distances about how long, how how far the distances are between places, but if you don't, and all if you're not actually yeah. walking them, you, you don't feel the contours of the land. And, 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 you know, I'm like going down this one hill and I'm like, Oh, I can't get there from here. Cause there's a little bit of a cliff there. <laughs> I have to go around this other way. Um, yeah, you don't really, it's hard to get that from a book. And even though I've been as diligent as I can, as I can, it's, it's nothing like being there. It's nothing like, like, you know, Windy Ilios, that's what Homer calls mm-hmm. Troy over and over again in the in the books. And and actually someone who had been to Troy and liked Age of Bronze told me before I went, Yeah, you go there and the wind is actually blowing all the time. And you don't you, you read wind, Windy Ilios in, in the Iliad and you can think, yeah, there's wind there, but until you're there it's the actual experience isn't, it doesn't really hit you. And so I was very conscious of that when I went to Troy and, and I'm like, yeah, the wind is blowing all the time and it's blowing from the northeast, which would prevent ships from sailing up the Hellespont from the Aegean Sea to the Black Sea and it, they would have to stay at Troy. And that's how Troy got rich because mm-hmm. there were these merchant ships beaching there until the wind changed. When it, I mean, it changes very, not very often. And yet they have to wait there and take advantage of the changing wind or if the wind stops for a period of time so they can sail on on the trade route. Mm-hmm. Troy, that's how Troy got rich. I mean, at least that's a theory. Yeah, well, it sounds right to me. Um, and when you put it in the book, it, 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 I mean, it, <clears throat> it feels like a living city. You know, the, their concerns are about trade. And it, it is, it's, it, it's a very, 
different experience, even though I know the story, you know, and like I knew one of the, one of the great ones from the first volume, um, uh, a thousand ships was, uh, near the end. I think you had, um, the story of you, uh, uh, Odysseus, uh, trying to avoid, uh, being taken, uh, up in this adventure. And, and he's, as he, I think he does it in a, in later in life as well. He plays mad. He plays as if he's gone crazy. Yeah. Um, and, and I think you were saying in the afterward that the, there was a, why, why don't you explain it? What are, which, what are you the, in the afterward you're talking about, he's, he's in the field and he's playing mad. He's salting the earth instead of planting seeds. And that's yeah. to show that, you know, he's crazy because he, he thinks that, you know, he, they're supposed to say, oh, my God, he's crazy. We can't take him. Right. Right. Um, and yet um, you found a way to explain how he ends up going anyways and how it even fits with his character. Um, well, that's. There, yeah. Ptolemides well, takes his, his baby and puts him in front of the plow. And uh, so Odysseus is not going to plow through his kid because he's really not crazy. I thought it was a dog. Oh, the dog, yeah. Argos. Oh, I had to figure out a way. I don't have, the, I don't have that volume here. <laughs> I've, got, <laughs> I've is, got volume two in front of me. This is so long ago at this point. Yeah, that's like... What did I do? Almost what did I do? This is more than ten years ago writing this part for me. Um, what did I do? Argos the dog comes in. I put the dog in for some reason. The dog like, shows up. annoys Agamemnon and starts pulling Agamemnon. But the dog is not originally in that episode. Um, but for some reason, I needed to put the dog in. I needed, I needed a reason for Agamemnon to get distracted. So I'm going, what can I do? And then in the Odyssey, which is the story of Odysseus' homecoming, one of the first characters that Odysseus runs into when he gets back home is the dog, and the dog and Odysseus is in disguise when he gets home. Um, he does that quite often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a trickster figure. That's he's um, the greatest character ever, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Well, I don't know whether I agree with that, but yes, he's obviously a great character. Um, so in the Odyssey, he meets his dog, and his dog recognizes him, because, of course, the dog doesn't have to rely on sight, just smell. Mm-hmm. And um, the dog is, like, really old, and the dog recognizes Odysseus and then dies. So, obviously, before Odysseus left, the dog knew him. This was his dog. Um, so the dog can be there at the beginning, and the, so the, I put the dog in to this episode, which the dog originally wasn't in, but I needed some reason for Agamemnon to be distracted, so the dog comes up and starts pulling on Agamemnon's cloak. And people have said to me, boy, <laughs> the dog was there at the beginning at, before Odysseus left, huh? Well, that's a really old dog by the time Odysseus gets home, because it's 20, 20 years, years old, yeah. And uh, I said, well, it's not my fault. This is what Homer wrote, <laughs> you know? Of course, we know from the Odyssey that the dog knew Odysseus before Odysseus left. Yeah. Not my fault. Don't criticize me. The dog was there. Well, you, <laughs> I just you, showed him. <laughs> years years uh, went a lot faster back then. The Earth was much younger, and the, it spun a lot faster. So, 
<laughs> no, there's yeah. no explaining it other than it's a very, very old dog. And it does yeah. die. I mean, come on. It dies right away. It was just waiting for Odysseus there to get home. There you go. There you go. I, I think dogs have lived uh, uh, more than 20 years, but not, yeah. not yeah. very frequently. It's and, not usual. But, you know, yeah. he's an early strain, so um, you can explain <laughs> it away without using magic or anything like that. Um, uh, I keep there's there all these incidents keep appearing in my mind uh, uh, that from the story, and I'm, I just keep losing them because I, I get distracted by another one. But um, it it is uh, it's it's something I'm looking forward to reading for years. This this collection, and I, I really appreciate uh, you you doing it. I'm going to keep buying it, um, but. I also wanted to ask you about uh, what you're listening to. What audiobooks are you listening to? Because um, uh-huh. one of my favorite ones uh, is actually I got about ten years ago, maybe, is uh, the Iliad by read by George Goodall. Um, yeah. Uh, have you got any um, any of those uh, kicking around that you that you can recommend? Well, I don't have a favorite audio version of the Iliad. Of course, I do have that one. And it's a complete one, which I, I like better than abridged. Um, I have a couple other versions of the Iliad on audio, and uh, I'd listen George to them Bidal's once in great. a while. Yeah, well, he's an excellent reader. Um, I don't, I don't <laughs> recommending audio books. I don't really have any particular books to recommend. Well, what are you listening to, or what have you been listening to? Oh goodness! You know, I just go to the library and take off, take out, check out whatever they've got on their shelf that looks interesting. Um, what have I listened to recently that I liked? Um, I actually listened to the other Boleyn Girl by Philippa Gregory. Yeah, that's I, uh, the Tudors. Uh, yeah, when I, when I was inking the uh, last issue of Age of Bronze uh, back in August and September. Um, I really actually liked that a lot. I was sort of surprised. Um, I know it was made into a movie a few years ago, which I totally basically ignored because it just sounds like some woman's romance novel. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, it's so popular and I needed something to listen to and there it was at the library. So I just go, okay, I'll try this. It's historical fiction, so I thought, well, maybe it won't be too much romance. And it wasn't. It was, you know, very interesting uh, historical drama. Obviously, I have some sort of interest in historical drama since I'm mm-hmm. basically doing it in Age of Bronze. Um, and uh, is that what you mostly pick up? Is is the history rather than fiction? No, <laughs> I'm a big fiction reader, and uh, I read fiction more than I read anything else. Oh. Um, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna force it out of you. Um, I just. Uh, I. I, uh, I. I. I love reading class. I love listening to classic literature on on audio, um, tape or CD. I mean, I, it used to always be tape. I've yeah. been listening to audiobooks since since almost I began my career in the mid '80s, um, and just found it to be a really good way to pass the time while I was inking or painting um, I can't listen to anything while I'm writing no of course not just because it distracts me I mean I I talk to other writers of both comics and prose who say oh yeah I always have to have 
a certain music. type of music on to get me into the mood of my scene, and I'm like, God, I just don't understand that because I cannot have any distractions when I'm writing because I need to have full concentration. But it works for other people, so fine for them. Um, well, I, I, when I read when I read that you know you're a big audiobook fan in that, or at least you you do it while you're inking, and and uh, I guess drawing as well. Uh, when when you're actually comicking, right? Rather than having written the scene and then uh, it, while you're doing the art, let's say while you're doing well, what, the, no, when I'm penciling major. though, when I'm penciling, I cannot listen to books. Um, it takes a certain level of concentration to listen to a book. I, I listen to music ah. while I'm while I'm penciling because that doesn't take the level of concentration as it does listening to a book. I've tried listening to books, uh, audio books while I'm penciling. It just does not work. It's too distracting. I can't I can't concentrate on the story because um, I'm concentrating on on drawing too much. But the level of concentration it takes me to ink um, it's using is a different not part so of your great mind. Yeah. That, that I can just listen to books. And and you know at this point I'm addicted. I can't. It's hard for me to ink for a long time without actually having a book on. I look forward to the inking stage so I can um, listen to audio books. Um, uh, and I you know I have to go to the library. It's like oh the, I have a deadline, but I have to ink two more pages. <laughs> well, I have to drive to the library and pick up a couple more audio books because I don't. Get up a, a couple of unabridged ones for those long nights. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Of course, now with the internet on, um, I listen to books on that are just on the internet now too. That's not as they don't have as I haven't been able to find as extensive collections as I would like though on the internet. It's not. It's been growing in the past few years, but Audible has thousands and thousands and thousands. But um, well, are they? There, you have to pay for that, right? You do. Um, I'm sorry, no. I'm, I'm still in the cheapo stage. I only listen to free stuff. If I can get it out of the library, yeah, exactly. Free, so exactly, that's what I'm use. Well, um, uh, I'll talk to you after uh, the podcast. Maybe I can hook you up with some uh, uh, that I've got stacked stacked up to yin yang here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, um, I really appreciate you uh, you talking with me. I I'm big fan of your your comics and. Um, I keep. Oh, I hope you keep going until at least at least the end of uh, the Trojan Horse. After that, I'd love you to do the Odyssey as well. I don't know if that's your plan. No, actually, my plan is not to do the Odyssey. I had a before. feeling. <laughs> I had a feeling. No, it's just going to be the the fall of the city of Troy and a little bit of aftermath. But when the the heroes start returning home. No, I'm afraid I'm not going to do that. I have to stop the story somewhere. Oh. And that's the Trojan horse and the sack of the city of Troy is a perfectly good climax to the story. It and is. That's, it that's is what I'm building to, and that's going to be the climax. I I, I just love. Uh, I hope I hope you you'll do uh, Aeneas uh, taking off uh, to go do his Aeneid, you know, and. I'm and, not going to be adapting the bulk of the Aeneid. No, no, I'm just saying, you know, no, he's, he's, you know, he's leaving, right? And he's, yeah. he carries his father on his shoulders or some scene like that, yes, you know? Yeah, yes, of course I'm going to have Aeneas escaping okay, the city good. during the sack. Yes, yes, yes. Just whole, so that we get an, a, a whole imagination of what's going to happen next that's not on the actual pages, right? Leave a few blank pages at the end and I'll, maybe I'll draw them in myself. Well, <laughs> well, the, 
the Aeneid, the tradition of Aeneas and what happens to him after the Trojan War is quite, there are many, many different versions of that. So mm-hmm. I am going to be dealing with that a little bit, sort of. Yeah, you've already started. What's, what's going to happen after Troy falls, showing some potential for what for the rest of the story. But um, once he actually leaves the area, I'm not going to be doing that because I just don't have, I don't have the stamina. No, I... I don't have the... Uh, it wasn't my original concept. My original concept was to tell the story of the Trojan War and just the war, not the returns of the heroes or Aeneas' journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, there's a whole... The whole rest of the story of Agamemnon's family with Orestes killing killing Clytemnestra and all that stuff, I'm not going to be doing that either. It, it's just too much... I'm not, I'm not as interested... I find the story of the Trojan War the most fascinating yeah, part. Yeah, it's the, it's the peak. By the, time I, by the time the war's over, I mean, I love all that material, but I'm not. I'm just not interested in doing it as comics, at least not at this point. Who knows? I, you've got a huge project ahead of you, so yeah, I can't blame you for you know saying I'm I, in 15 years when I finish this, or however long it's going to be. Oh, I don't think about that part. I, I know, I know. Time. I just think about what I have to do. Yeah, in front of me. What's in front of me? I have to do the next issue. Okay, get twenty pages done. That's just how I'm. I look at it. I don't think about the entire thing, or else I would be driven insane. We're gonna cut it off right there. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, um, You're welcome, Jesse. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, uh, Audible is not free. No, it's true. Uh, how about LibriVox? Have you got on there? Oh, yeah, yeah, I listen to stuff on LibriVox. Hey, um, hey. Some of the, I mean, since they're amateur readers, some of them are a little hard to listen to at times. But, yeah, I, I listen to LibriVox. Yeah, um, uh, the uh, Lib- guy from LibriVox, I had him on the podcast a couple weeks ago, and he uh-huh. um, he's just started a new audiobook company uh, for pay, Um uh, to fund LibriVox, and he's using the best of the LibriVox narrators uh, uh-huh. to do that. So it's 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 exciting. But yeah, there I think he's Great. it's called Iambic Iambic Audio, and um, that's it's just starting up. But it's it's kind of it's it's a really 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 good time for audiobooks because of Audible making it relatively easy for people to. Uh, find things, you know, I, I don't need to go to all the other catalogs anymore. I just go to Audible and see if it's there. And then, um, so the way I solve my audiobook expense problem is by starting my website. <laughs> <laughs> and now I have so many audiobooks, there's no possible way I could ever listen to even a third of what I've got. So right. if you tell me some authors, I'll tell you what I got and uh, hap- happily send you anything I've got. Oh, goodness, I, I don't know. Who, who do you who do you read? As uh, you know, that's a, a person. Uh, <laughs> I just read Paul Oster's latest book. Um, Invisible. I don't know Paul Oster. What? I don't know Paul Oster. I've never heard of him. Oh, he's a contemporary novelist. He's very well respected. I think his his books are great. Um, I don't know. I've to read see a few, here. Read a few of them. Listened to a few of them on tape or uh, on CD on. I've never heard of any of these. Leviathan, Mr. Vertigo, Timbuktu, is that the guy? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, the first time I ever heard of him was a City of Glass, a comics adaptation that was in the 90s. David Mazzucchelli did the artwork. 
Um, and they adapted his book, City of Glass, into a, con into a graphic novel. And it's highly respected, blah, blah, blah. Detective um, fiction sounds good. Uh, but I was always sort of intimidated because cause it was so highly respected. I'm like, uh, Paul Ostrich is probably really hard to read. But, you know, it's, audiobooks are so great for introducing you to introducing one to authors and types of books that one would never actually invest the time to read. Absolutely. I, I have so little free time that when I read a book, I want it to be. I want to know beforehand that it's going to be a good book that it's going to be worth investing my time in. Mm -hmm. but for audiobooks, since I'm I'm doing my work when I'm listening, and I'm not really I'm spending my time already doing what I need to be doing, I can just listen to just about any audiobook. It doesn't really matter. Really, just just take whatever off the shelf is available, and if if it's a book that sucks, oh well, I'll just stop listening to it, and I don't feel like I've lost any time. Um, oh. So I've listened to, I've been exposed to a great variety of things that I never would have uh, taken the time to read. And Paul Oster, I, I mean, I had heard of him, and uh, I found one of his audio books and listened to it, and I go, this is great. And so now I have listened to a, s several of his other books on audio, and then I've started re actually reading him, too. I had one of his books for years and years and never ha actually took it off the shelf. I finally did, and it was great. And then I was actually caught in the Bristol, England airport a couple weeks ago, and I finished the book by Tom DeHaven. It's Superman that I was reading, which I also mm -hmm. really enjoyed. And there was a W.H. Smith, which is a chain in England of, of bookstores. We used to have and, it up here, too. Uh, okay, yeah, they were in, it was in the airport, and I was stuck in the airport. I go, I have to have a book. i got to get a book. And so I went in, and there was Paul Oster's latest. And so I go, even though, I go, that's the one I want. I saw, of course, had to look around the rest of the store to see what was there. Um, but I, of course, went right back to the Paul Oster and bought that and read it, read it and loved it, read it on the flight. It's Superman. Yeah, that's an, uh, that's an audio book. Yeah, that's right. Is it? Uh, yeah, is, uh, from Blackstone. Superman Black audio too. Well, you know yeah. everything because everything's on audio these days. The cheap one too. I think it was five bucks last time I saw it. Um, it's a uh, Blackstone Audio. So you should check out their site. I mean, it, if yeah, it, I, if you spend a dollar, you can get a a lot of money out of uh, Blackstone. They put a lot of um, uh, their stuff in their catalog out very cheaply after a certain period of time. Okay. And do overstock clearance and that sort of stuff. That's how I started uh, before I did my website. Because I, I mean, audio oh. bloody expensive. hundred dollars, sixty dollars. Yeah. The price is falling, but it's still it's bloody expensive. So, yeah, um, I, I haven't got anything. Uh, basically, what I've got is crime, mystery, uh, tons and tons and tons of paranormal romance, which I can't get anyone to anyone to listen to. I. <laughs> <laughs> I keep talking to people, but why is paranormal romance so popular? But um, I, there's no explaining that. And uh, science fiction—that's that's what I tend to get. Right. Uh, uh, that's what they tend to send us, and that's fine with me because I. Well, that's if it, what your site's basically geared toward, right? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. But uh, uh, it wasn't geared f towards crime and noir and mystery. But, right, right. But I found a way to make that happen <laughs> because. I, I see, you know, it's just basically I don't like bad, boring fiction about nothing. You know, about characters who, I don't know, just not doing anything and they live in the suburbs and they're angsty. I don't, that's not my, 
I don't. Well, maybe you wouldn't like Paul Oster. I don't know. I think his characters do something, but they they tend to be you know very realistic novels about people's inner lives. Although plenty of stuff does happen. Um, Maybe the Book of Illusions might be the best one to start with for you. It's about a guy discovering uh, a silent film actor and trying to trace back this guy's life and films. It sounds that might sound kind of boring. You know what? It's it's all interesting. It's all about it's all about the author stuff in it. Because I I follow the author, not the not the subject, and it's just Uh subject. Like so, right now I'm listening to a a really good one, a couple good ones actually. Listening to a a book called Hunt Through the Valley of Fear. I think it's called. It's it's a new adventure series uh, by the guy who's doing hard case hard case crime it's a it's a pulpy adventure or pulpy mystery crime series uh using reprints and and new new books mixing them up uh, uh-huh. and that's great but now he started a new one which is just an adventure series with the same character in all of them and so it's it's very old fashioned like um basically indiana jones style but set in the modern day and instead of having uh you know some hack uh, writer used a, a pseudonym. What he did is he took all the modern, awesome mystery no- writers and said, "Hey, you want to write an adventure novel using this pseudonym? Except it'll actually say your name underneath, as written by, <laughs> or something right, like." Right, and right. and so the second first one in the series ri- is written by a mystery modern modern mystery crime writer, and the second one is written by Charles Zardai, who's the uh, creator of the series and also a writer himself. And then the third one is by another mystery crime writer, and and so. Um, if you like the the other series, you'll like this series, and I do. It's it's a historical quick adventure, um, and uh, that's it's it's pretty pretty darn good. Um, and then the other one I'm listening to that's uh, really really quite fine is eluding me. Oh, it's uh, Donald Lee Westlake. Have you ever read read Westlake? I I know the name. I'm not sure I've ever. He's he's had tons and tons of movies adapted. He wrote the, the most famous thing he he's done. I guess is the, he did the script for the Grifters, the um, the uh, Jim Thompson book that uh, was turned into a movie in the nineteen eighties. Okay, maybe you haven't seen that. Um, yeah. Amazing, amazing <laughs> noir movie. But um, uh, he he's written science fiction, mystery, humor, hard boiled, right. And he just—he uh-huh. was a writing machine, basically, uh-huh. from the 1950s into the 1990s. He put out at least two books a year, and so if you like his writing, there's thousands <laughs> of books, basically, tons to read. And uh, that's just what I love. And it doesn't matter what he writes; I'll read it. Uh, uh, how about this one, Mario Puzo? Um, Mario Puzo. Uh, he wrote. He wrote The Godfather, yeah. Yeah, but I don't. I'm not so excited about that. He wrote. <laughs> Uh, fools die. That that's basically my argument as to why I'm wrong about general fiction. Fools die is a is a, a story about a guy who just lives his life and basically it covers about thirty years of his life, um, just living, <laughs> and it's really amazing because <laughs> because it's it 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 feels like I shouldn't like it, but uh, it starts with a line. Um, uh, listen closely. I am the master of magic. Well, he's, there's no magic in the book, 
Um, but it's sort of Mario Puzo putting words into the character's mouth, and um, it's just his life story uh, set over about 30 years, uh, you know, leaving the army, joining, uh, going to Las Vegas, being an alcoholic, and then, you know, uh, becoming a uh, a gambler, and then leaving that and becoming, going into the insurance industry. It, it sounds terrible. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> All right, I'll give it a shot. Yeah, if you can. Fool's Die. Yeah, I, I've heard the title. I know the title. Oh, never read that, it, though. There's a PDF right here. I'll send, send you the opening line here. That's what, oh, maybe it's not working. Oh, maybe this is an old one. Oh. oh, yeah. Listen to me. I will tell you the truth about a man's life. I will tell you the truth about his love for women, that he... That he never hates them. Already you think I'm on the wrong track. Stay with me, really. I'm a master of magic. Do you believe a man can truly love a woman and constantly betray her? Never mind physically, but betray her in his mind? <laughs> it's, a, it's just an amazing opening for a book, and it's an amazing book. And that's one I picked up at a, at a uh, you know, thrift shop. Uh, right. Audiobook at a thrift shop. Better buy $5 for this $180 audiobook. On yeah. that and oh, just that's the that's why you know there is this serendipity to picking up a book you don't know anything about, and especially an audiobook. Yeah, there's not a lot of risk. I mean, well, at least for me. No, and uh, not when it's in the library. You pick it up, you put it, go for it, you pick up the next one, right? Yeah. And I I rarely stop listening to an audiobook, even if it's a book that I really don't like that much. There's no work. Has to There's be a book. work other than sitting there and listening. And if you're not, yeah, it has to be a book I really, really, really can't stand. That really annoys me deliberately. That I'll, I'll stop listening to. Yeah, I thought George Goodall could do no wrong until I until I heard him read one of those uh, Lillian Jackson Braun cat novels. Oh, I stay <laughs> I stay away from those. I heard one. Should. You should. I started one, and I thought, oh, it's it's George Goodall. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who wrote it. It's George Goodall. He's such a great reader. And then, and the cat like jumping or something. No! <laughs> Throw the book out the window. Oh, well, but somebody must like them. Uh, yeah. I don't know how many there are, but there seem to be far so. too many of them. I don't know. But, uh, yeah. Um, so, uh... Let me know if, if you need some uh, audiobooks, especially science fiction, mystery, crime. I've got tons uh, of them here. I'll send you one, some. One other advantage of checking these things out of the library is I can return them. <laughs> I, I no, I, I, I can send. I've got I MP3s. I've got. Uh, I, they send, oh, MP3s. Yeah, okay. I, I assume you, you do have an iPod or some MP3 player. Or I don't have an iPod. I have to listen to it on my computer, but that's fine. My computer's in my studio. Let me see how. Oh, the other thing. The other place that's really good, I don't know if you've tried this, um, I'm tr- I keep trying to get the guy on, um, is radioarchive.cc. This is a, um, it's basically uh, a torrent site for public uh, radio only. Uh, so BBC, CBC, and NPR, no, not so much NPR, um, but the BBC has done some amazing uh, audiobooks, and... It's quasi-legal. Quasi? <laughs> well, the thing is, it's, it's very unclear. It's, it's totally legal in the country that it's set in. 
Right. Uh, it's it's legal in Canada. I have I'm not sure, I I can't follow the laws in the United States closely enough to figure out what uh, there's no money exchanging hands and this is publicly funded radio. So I, I I'm I post about it on my site all the time. I don't post about uh regular torrent sites unless um unless it's a special case like there was a somebody a friend of mine did a audio drama version of um a Robert E. Howard novel, uh, Robert E. Howard story. Yeah. Actually, last week's podcast was the same story, uh, Queen of the Black Coast by Robert E. Howard, a Conan story. Yeah. And it's in the public domain, but uh, the company, there's a company called Conan Properties International, which um, threatens to sue people who uh, publish Conan stuff, even though it's public domain, because they've yeah. got a trademark on the the word Conan. Well, yeah. Tell that to Conan O'Brien is what I say. <laughs> um, so they, they threatened to sue these guys, and they, they had to pull it off their website because they're totally unfunded, right? It's all for fun. They don't right. sell anything. And so uh, I, I'll link to the Pirate Bay where they have uh, lots of audiobooks. But this, this is a great website um, that you can I, – I download from constantly, totally guilt-free. Um, send you the radio? Link. I'll send you the link here. There you go. Um, and on there you'll find uh, audio drama uh, plays, um, lots of audiobooks in the section under um, you browse the audiobooks. Uh, so, so browse torrents. Uh-huh. Browse torrents. Uh-huh. And then it says audiobooks. And click that. And then it shows you the latest stuff. And the, a lot of these are unabridged. A lot of them are abridged. Uh, so they got the Hound of the Baskervilles there. But that's an abridged version. But they've got some amazing uh, readers uh, and some amazing unabridged uh, titles. Just a great, great okay. resource. Um, that's probably my best source for for online stuff. But yeah, I've got a huge hard drive here full of MP3s. So okay, I don't, I don't know. I guess I could, yeah. Hang on a second. I can send you. This will work. This is almost... I have to make these smaller somehow. How do I do this? Okay, go up. View. Hmm. Share your screen. Yeah, share full screen. I think that works. Now, you should... If you're looking at your Skype window, you should be able to see... The... Um... You're using a Mac or a PC? PC. Okay. So um, uh, where our Skype conversation, where the text of our conversation is? I sent is you the text of our conversation? Yeah, uh, uh, as, in, uh, as in the, um, I'll send you a thingy. Hello. Right there. It should make a little beeping sound or something. I hear a beep, but I don't see anything changing. You have a taskbar at the bottom with the... Uh, uh, little blue symbol for the Skype. Mm, what is this? Skype, yeah. I see htaglassum.com. Yeah, okay, what? so that one, that's the Fool's Die PDF that didn't work. And Radio Archives after that, and then Hello, if you scroll down. But um, you should be able to see... Uh, my screen as well. 
No, I don't know. I don't. Uh, That's yeah. I'm not sure how to how to. Uh, what is this? I have a little three here. Clicking on it, but nothing's happening. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I have I I have the radio archive URL. Yeah, it doesn't show the. Uh, screen I'm sharing. I'll try it again. Hold on a second. Stop screen sharing. I'll go up to uh, view... Where is it? Share your screen. Share full selection. What about in the um, the window above the uh, the um, the text? Yeah, I've got a, no, I guess a picture of your computer screen. Yeah. So okay. on the left there you should yeah, be able there's to a list. A list of, of uh, it's actually sorted by author, except it's not sorted very well right now. Um, so Agatha Christie, Alexander Dumas, Al- Alfred Bester, right? So it's alphabetical. And you scroll down, you can see uh, Christopher Hitchens, Clark Ashton Smith, Donald Westlake, Ed McBain. We've got a not a great connection right now, so it might not come very clear through. I can see it. That's scrolling down. Uh, yeah, I've got I've got some more Barbara Tuckman too. Um, <laughs> uh, what did I? I did the um, I did the Guns of August in the summer. Uh huh. So, are you expecting me to pick? No, it just right if there. anything strikes you, like um, I'm, I'm just trying to think of authors. Uh, I, I'm happy to send you something. I just don't have, uh, I don't know your mind as well as um, I know my own. So I, I want to send you everything Westlake ever has ever written. Why don't I? Why don't I send you a Westlake and see how? Yeah. You, the one I'm listening to is great. Let's see, it's type in fine. Called memory. There it is. Um, and you said you don't have an iPod, right? You have an just a MP3. I, I don't have an iPod. I have okay. to listen to it on. It's okay. I've got I've got an MP3 version. True. Oh, that's not it. That's... Windows Media Player or something or iTunes. It. All right, so I'm going to select these. This is uh, from BBC Audiobooks America. There we go. So you just click accept to those, and later today, maybe an hour, those all be on your computer. Okay. Um. I don't see accept. Oh, uh, in the save all and uh, cancel. Uh, oh, oh, sorry. Yeah. Do I save, save all? Save, yeah, save all. Okay.
I guess it's going. It's really enjoyable. I'm about halfway through. It's 11 hours long. Okay. My dots. My. What was the other one that I was thinking? Okay, I think it's downloading. Um, Rogue Mail. Have you heard that one? Um, it's, they turned that into a movie as well. Is that by Westlake? Uh, no, it's... um. Yeah. Rogue Mail. Yeah. No, I don't know what that is. Jeffrey Household. It's a, it's a World War uh, Two, just prior to World War Two set setting, and it was written just prior to World War Two. It's really terrific listening. Let's see if I've got okay. it. Michael J. I don't know it. I don't know the author's name. I hadn't known him before. I I I got it on BBC archives, uh, or ra- radio archives, I should say. There we go. And this is unabridged. A really great reader. Okay. Jason is his name. Cool. So um, this should be out tomorrow morning, this uh, podcast. Uh, tomorrow at midnight. Okay. Or tonight at midnight. Okay. And um, I hope it brings you many... Uh, Many people visiting your site and clicking and buying and um, uh, following because I want you to keep going forever, at least until you finish. Uh, well, I yeah, I will keep going until I finish Age of Bronze. Good stuff. I don't know what I'm going to be doing after that. Something just as interesting, I hope. But at this point, I have no idea. You'll want to take a break. I. <laughs> I guess I don't. But you're know. doing other projects too, so it's not like yeah. I'm always working on something. Awesome. I well, really appreciate you. Thank um, you very much, Jesse. This was very enjoyable. Good. If I had to get up at 8 o'clock in the Sorry morning. Sorry about that. <laughs> I've, got, I've got students coming in in an hour or so, so I, I, I always like to leave enough cushion to, uh, you know, if we have a technical problem. It's, right. Earlier is better. We used, to, we used to record at 5 a.m. <laughs> ah. That was really hard compared, but I used to go, go to bed after. Go back to bed. Yeah, I, uh, I'm going to go back to bed. All right, I'll let you get back was, to bed. I'm sorry. I was, I was up at a Halloween party last night. Uh, costumed? Yes, yes, of course. Have well, to go to have to get in costume for a Halloween party. Any good ones? Any good ones there? Well, my partner went as a frog, and he had this huge frog outfit, which he won the best costume prize for. <laughs> Froggy went cordon, he did ride. Did he have a sword and pistol by his side? That's what I, I was, uh, I, I think when I was a kid, uh, my mom made me a frog costume for uh, th- that play. Whatever uh-huh. story that's from. You know, uh, Froggy went cordon, he did ride. Yeah, it's a folk song or something, I think. Yeah, it's um, something. I think it's British. I don't know. Uh, what did you go as? I was a prince. <laughs> the prince sort of the a, frog, I got it. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's uh, two versions of the same thing, right? Yeah, sort of the same, sort of. Yeah, that was sort of the joke. Actually, um, we went to a, a friend of ours works at in the theater department at the, a local college, and 
So when he heard we were looking for costume, he goes, oh, just come over here. Can you look through the costume collection? So we went over there, and I actually chose the prince costume. And then he said, the friend said, well, I have a frog costume, too. So a perfect match. So David won as a frog. Nice. Um, yeah, that was actually made for a play, too, for a play called A New Brain. But it wasn't specific. I mean, the frog doesn't look specific to the play, although it's a really great costume. Fun stuff. I think my niece is going to be a zombie. No, 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 uh, a vampire. And I, oh, how I, original. How I original know. These days. I know. I I said at least go zombie. You know, at least go zombie. Well, that's not that original either. No, but you can make a little more variety with your zombie, right? Uh, well, there's uh, quite a variety in vampires today. They even have them have sparkly ones. I know. <laughs> no, that's not. I'm I'm thinking. You know. Uh, zombie can be anybody who's just been zombified, right? So that's true. Yeah. Uh, whereas, yeah, you just and, yeah, and you just do your makeup, right? And your clothing can be whatever you'd like. Um, yeah. You can have a zombie friend. Uh, you probably have a zombie frog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no, she's going with vampire. So. Well, that's very girly, I guess <laughs> these days. Oh well, she'll grow up and put on some. More exciting costumes at some point. <laughs> yeah, I, her first Halloween, I, I made her a, uh, a dinosaur costume because she was really into dinosaurs. I said, uh-huh. pick out a dinosaur, I'll make you one. I made her one out of cardboard and, uh, uh, what is that? I don't know. Spray paint and uh, packing tape. And it's pretty good, I think. Uh-huh. Took good. about well, a month to make. I know. Making costumes is really hard. Very hard. I had to make a costume last year, and actually had to make two costumes because the character it was for a uh, performance, and the character had two costumes. And one of them was easy because I just went to the thrift store and bought a bunch of stuff, and the other one I had to actually sew. And I actually had to have a couple friends who are more good at who actually know how to sew and have sewing machines to work on this costume. It was a nightmare. Uh, it was for this Oz thing. And it was a character of the Shaggy Man who has all these shags. And when he gets to Oz, they, he gets this costume that um, has shags, but it's tailored. Mm-hmm. And making all these shags was was just an absolute nightmare, especially for someone who doesn't really sew. And some of it I was just gluing together. Yeah. But some of it I actually had to sew, and I had to have friends, and it just took me forever. And that's why <laughs> stuff like this is one reason why Age of Bronze issues only come out <laughs> <laughs> very irregularly because I'm involved in these other projects, and I keep trying to turn them down, but I keep getting sucked into other stuff. I mean, you need variety in your life. If I was just doing Age of Bronze, I'd be going crazy. No, yeah, you you have to you have to do other stuff. I've got I've got a yearly project that I I seem to I I seem to I enjoyed really at first, and now I'm like even though I only have to do it once a year, now it be, it's become popular and people are asking about it. I'm like, oh crap! Oh well, I guess I got to do it. I better get started. And, um, what it, project? Oh, it's just uh, uh, every November 11th, I, I, five years ago, I started uh, this thing called the SFF Audio Challenge, where I say, here's a bunch of public domain books that should be audiobooks, but aren't. And 
Um, the problem was I, I wrote in the first one. I said I don't want to I don't want to see another a copy of Dracula or Frankenstein ever again. There's like right. ten thousand versions of Frankenstein right. Dracula. Stop making Dracula and Frankenstein. Get some real books. Here's some here's a here's a list of good books that nobody has ever turned into an audiobook before. And I said and because uh, I always you know I think if you're going to complain you have to at least uh, offer some. Uh, point in a direction. Yeah, that if you're going to complain, you got to do something about it. Right, so I, I said, if you make an audiobook, I'll give you an audiobook. And that's the, the challenge. So uh, I made a list of 20 titles um, that should be audiobooks that aren't, that are public domain. Uh-huh. And, um, and I got a bunch of personal audiobooks that I had purchased myself the first year. And I said, uh, you, you finish one, you get one. That's that's uh-huh. the rule, and you you can do anything with it. You can put it on your, uh, put it on LibriVox. You can uh, sell it. You can uh, publish it, but you just have to produce it and prove to me that you've done it, and you you get one. I'll send it to you anywhere. <laughs> and it's not much of an incentive, right? Because it's you know at least eleven hours to record a five hour book, right? Yeah. It's at least twenty hours to record a ten hour book, and then there's the proofing and all the work that go- it's a hell of a lot of work. So really, yeah. it's not. There's no incentive to do it other than if you wanted to do it anyways. But you know what? A tiny little incentive like a token prize moves a lot of people. <laughs> last year, last year it was boing boinged, and day after it, uh, within 24 hours, all of the books were were uh, claimed and people started working on them. And uh, about 20 20 great audiobooks have come out of it uh, since since it was uh, started. And right. so I'm going to have to do it again this year, even though uh, there's so many great ones. I'm just trying to find some some public domain stuff that I know isn't in the the production already at LibriVox. Right. And I've got... I, uh, I, so if you know of some, let me know, and I'll see if I can add them to the list. I have a couple books that I really, really like mm-hmm. that I don't think are on audio. Um, if they are, I'd be really surprised. Um, but they're really, really long books too, and they're not going to be very popular. What? What? Uh, by a, a French writer of the 19th century named Eugene Sue. His last name is spelled S-U-E, just like the girl's name. Mm-hmm. And uh, he wrote the two books that he wrote that I really, really like are The Mysteries of Paris oh. and and The Wandering Jew. And I don't know if you've ever heard of these books. I've seen to... the uh, classic comics version. Okay, yeah, they used to be considered classics, but no one reads them anymore. I'm adding them um, to the list. Mysteries they're... of Paris and yeah. The Wandering Jew. Yeah. They're incredibly long. Um, there's various English translations of them because they're originally French. Um, some of the translations are better than others. Uh, Let me see if they're on LibriVox. Um because if they are, Maybe then they are. I, I doubt we would do them again. But it, let me just... Uh, you, uh, okay. I shouldn't... I'll just keep the original. There's a little umlaut or something over the E on Eugene. But let's see. LibriVox. Uh, yes, there is at least one version in the offing. Let's see. Um, 2010, September. See, everybody... They're all working on them. The text <laughs> is available in original French. Here's the English. Um, okay. It says, It's a German nobleman who searches for his lost daughter among the poor, the thieves, and murders of Paris. That's Mysteries of Paris. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so I'm going to just put Eugene Sue into that's in it's in the forum. So they're talking about doing it. Um, so it's possible. I just don't want. I I hate to uh, make somebody do something they're already doing. You know. Yeah. I'd rather yeah, yeah. find something that's of course not being done. But I'm not sure that that one's actually been done at all. Um, well, are they doing the Wandering Jew? Are they? Are I'm, they I'm just going to try and find that out. I'm yeah. going to the LibriVox main page and I'll do look at the catalog. They've got. Um, he was telling me they have. Oh, can't remember. Um, just tons. Actually, after it's really good that you came on now instead of earlier as well, because after I had um, uh, Hugh McGuire from LibriVox on. Um, I'm not sure if it's because of him or not, but uh, podcast um, downloads up to 5,000 now. It's, in, it's insane. That's, right. It used to be like 700 people would listen to one, and that's, that's you know, that's or 700 downloads. And you say, oh, that's pretty good. I mean, think of, I, I spend an hour talking, and that gets multiplied times 700 hours of people's lives. That's, in, that's insane, right? Insanely awesome, insanely interesting. Uh, yeah. Well, the 5,000, oh my God, that's insane. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to look in the LibriVox catalog. Ah, um, that's the other thing you can do is, um, in, if you're trying to find good stuff on LibriVox, is go by narrator. Because the, the difference between um, by uh, going by author and going by narrator in audiobooks like i you know i love george goodall but i'm never reading a cat cat book again it's right. horrible but um <laughs> the difference between a professional narrator and a amateur narrator is the amateurs choose what they want to do and the professionals go where where the money is right right and so if you find someone who has good taste um as a narrator and you like their narration then you're going to find a good uh uh, good. Books that you like too. Exactly. Yeah. So I found a guy, a friend of mine, I've had on have him on the podcast a number of times, um, who works on LibriVox and uh yeah, there's a copy of uh, Wandering Jew in progress. Let's see. Okay. Well that's gonna be a while. Yeah, it's well, let's see. It depends They're on huge books. Well but see if they do it with multiple readers. That's true. Then it might not um Yeah. It might not be that long. And, and if it's um, multiple oh. readers, I will probably want to... Uh, let's see, Wandering Jew. Let's see if we can get... Uh, search their forums not working. What else What else can you think of that's old and interesting? Oh. I don't know. I <laughs> Let me know if you do. Well, I know that a lot of L. Frank Baum's books, including the Oz books, are on LibriVox right now. I don't know if everything that's in public domain that he wrote is on LibriVox, or they may be working on it. You know what I really enjoyed on LibriVox, which I read as a kid, was um, some E. Nesbitt books. And the readers for those turn out to be actually pretty listenable. I have a book. I have a book that I've been listening, working through on from LibriVox right now, and it's a really long book. It's a classic book. It's one that I'll, I'll I would never read, sit down and actually read in in book form. I but listening to I I was glad to find it. But it's 
read by several different narrators and yeah there's a you know i just can't it's so hard to get through one of them because this narrator just doesn't know how to pronounce so many words yeah and i'm listening to it and the narrator will say a sentence and the inflection of the sentence is completely wrong and i'm like no that's not what it you just said it in a way that implies a totally wrong meaning to that sentence it's so frustrating. It's absolutely uh, the it's so yeah. Hit or miss. Well, that's uh, but what I've done in the uh, challenges, it's all single voice uh, narration. So right. <laughs> I don't I don't put any judgments on quality, but I can't okay. have a multiple. I, I it's it's not my. It, I don't want to get into that. Right? I'm I know okay. who I like, but yeah. what I can say is, uh, if you're going to do it, there's going to be no music. There's going to be no sound effects. There's going to be no. Uh, there's going to be no multiple narrators. Just one narrator reading the book. Uh, and if you don't, if that doesn't qualify, then it doesn't qualify for the challenge. It says, "I just want to put a little ba- background music underneath." No, not allowed. I don't like books with music in them. Even, pro- I mean, when I hear professional ones. And there's music like at the beginning of a of a CD or a tape or at the end of the CD. At the or end, tape, I don't end. like it. At the beginning of the end, it can be okay sometimes. But when it's underneath, it's okay, but oh my it's god, often often the the tone or the atmosphere of the music is totally opposed to what's being read, and I just don't like it. It's distracting. I just feel like if you're going to be read to the voice. The sound is supposed to disappear in a way. You're not supposed to pay attention to the sound. You're supposed to be in the world. And if you start adding sound effects or music, that's a total different layer of the experience that's sort of opposed to the concept of entering the world and, and not hearing the sound anymore. Yeah. That's my, that's my I agree. theory. That's my principle anyway, that you shouldn't really hear it. The reader should be good enough that you don't hear the reader anymore. You should just be in the story and experiencing the story. It's true. And, and so I, that sound effects are actually op- opposed to that principle. It, it's absolutely true, and I, I completely agree. And, you know, why. for the most part, they that's how it's it's done. The most people don't. Most publishers don't do that. Um, yeah. And LibriVox doesn't, doesn't add any music, thankfully. Um. So yeah, uh, I like I'll, no music better. Oh yeah, uh, I I can I can stand it at the end of a cassette to tell you know as the sound to ter- tell me to turn it over. That's fine. Um, <laughs> as long as it's not. Uh, yeah, I, actually, I, I I've got a review in the offing right now of um, uh, time travel novel with this sort of s- uh, sickly, um, I don't know, guitar. It just doesn't match. It's I, I I want it to be with an Oprah novel or something. You know, it just does not match the tone of the book at all. And uh-huh. just because they slapped it together, and you know, it's right. like that's how they do it. That's how they, uh, how you make money is turn it into a factory, right? Well, that's I don't I don't want to see it. But I'm I'm gonna try and get some some short stuff and some long stuff and try and find some things that haven't been done before. And it's getting harder and harder because there's so much great stuff. And somebody's yeah. working on a P- uh, Peter Pan right now. It's like a, 
Yeah, well, it, your it, pan must have been recorded many times. Yeah, but it's a it's a going it's in the category called going solo, which means it's a single voice narration. And the other thing they're doing that's interesting is on LibriVox they just started is they've started doing um, uh, plays um, uh-huh. like Shakespeare, and right. they cast it with a whole bunch of different voices. But it's right. a reading; it's not a it's right. it's a reading of the script, right? Right. Um, and I'm not sure uh, what you could do with Shakespeare as an audiobook other than that. If it's just a reading of the script, uh, if you had it one guy, that wouldn't actually be helpful. It'd be harder, right? <laughs> yeah. And because he'd have to, he'd have to say, you know, uh, the Macbeth, and then Macbeth, and then Macbeth. There's no attribution, right? Yeah. You know, you'd have to read the script as the script was printed with the names in front of every speech. Exactly. No, and, obviously, obviously uh, reading a play with different different people playing the different parts is the way to go. You know, I've had different experiences listening to plays on audio, and sometimes I can't stand it because you can't tell what's going on, but sometimes you can, and those work really well, I think. Yeah, audio... audio when they work, they work well. Amazingly awesome. Some, especially you know, uh, there's a bunch of BBC ones that are just super terrific. Yeah, you get lost in this LibriVox page. I, uh, for some reason, their search engine's not working, but I'm going to add those <laughs> two to the list, um, and I'll, I'll see if I can can't add one. Uh, actually, yeah, I, I didn't talk to you much about the Classics Illustrated, but that's. I've been going through those again. I, I had some as a kid, and I've been going through them again. And um, they're not always that, that well put together, but the titles you can't fault them for their yeah. choice of the titles. Right, and I, I think that's probably true of a lot of comics back then. Is they just weren't all that well put together. Um, is they well, uh, the quality yeah. seems to seems to be uh, a lot better now, and at least in the stuff I'm reading. Well, I think there are more quality comics produced today than there have been ever. Mm. Uh, I'll say in the last in the last fifteen twenty years, there are definitely many more comics worth reading out there. The level of quality across the board is much higher, but the uh, level of acceptance, the level of attention that comics are getting in the general public is much higher too. So. It's sort of you know you have to the bar has been raised um, as the quality of comics gets higher they're they're paid more attention to and ads are paid more attention to the quality gets higher simply because of the attention that's being paid you know it's just sort of works both ways but I feel like I I'm I feel blessed in a way to be working as a professional cartoonist in the uh, in the industry today simply because. Um, of the respect that comics are getting, the the and the level of of quality material that's being produced, I just feel really lucky to be a cartoonist today, rather than say in the 1950s when there was a lot of shock just being churned out. And uh, comics I've... were seen as as you know for for either children or for half witted adults. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I, th- I think if if uh, all the stuff I've read about the classics illustrated, it's 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 um, that's the high point for the intellectual 
uh, activity of, of um, comics back then, but it was a pretty high yeah. point. And, um, you know, we, it, it, because it, I, I don't know if it's the medium or whatever, but, um, you know, there is a point for superheroes, but I don't think we're anywhere near that <laughs> anymore as adults. I'm not anyways. I know people, some adults still read the superhero comics, but... Um, well, yeah, there's, you know, what... It's basically re- reading stories, and I don't want to see the Spider-Man story again. I I saw it as a kid, and I don't need to have it again and again and again. Batman again. Yeah, again, well, again. that material, superhero material, I mean, it's just like any other genre of creativity. You There's some good work being produced, and... Ninety percent of it is is no good. Yeah, um, Sturgeon's law. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that's true for comics as a whole too. Although I think possibly these days there's more than ten percent that's actually worth looking at in comics. But I don't, I'm not sure how long that's going to last. But then again, there's more comics being produced these days than ever. So as the quality goes up, the the content, the actual production goes up too. So maybe we're just Getting ninety percent more crap too. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, what was my point? My point is, oh, superheroes. Yeah, well, I mean, the superheroes—they were. It was originally, whatever. You know, it's a pulpy. They came out of the pulps. It's not supposed to be, uh, high quality art. It's supposed to be, you know, fun adventure. And I think. It sort of lost that the superhero comics today have sort of lost the original vision of what superheroes were because they're being taken so seriously in many ways. And uh, while there is still some good material being produced, it's not, it's not that interesting to me either. I wouldn't read any superhero comics, I don't think these days if I didn't have friends writing them and I do look at what fr- my f- what friends of mine are producing simply because they're my friends. I gotcha. Um, but, and some of it I do actually like, although even if the quality, even if the material was of that quality, if I didn't know these people, I, I probably wouldn't be reading yeah. the superhero books. Um, I, 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 but I, I, at the same I, time... Oh, sorry. Time, no, go ahead. I was I was just gonna say. Um, go ahead, Jesse. I want to I want to keep uh, um, a lot of what we we've talked about. So I, if you don't mind, instead of having it cut off before, I'll cut it off right about now. Is that cool? Because fine, whatever you want. Yeah, whatever well, you want. I, just, uh, I don't want to. I, I I wanted to let you know, but yeah, because um, I, I don't think you've said anything that you wouldn't want other people to care about. But I, I always say this about the podcast is um, a podcast is much more I- interesting than uh, radio interviews because they're of undetermined length. They don't have to fit a certain right. format. Right. And, and the, they break for commercials either. There's no, forget about that. This, my site is completely non-commercial. Uh, we, we have a, ads on there, but they're, they're rinky-dinky and they don't do anything other than sit there and make the occasional dollar for us. But um, the idea is uh, the a conversation is much more interesting uh, the longer it goes on after you've, especially, uh, you know, you've put the mic away, as it were. 
<laughs> um, yeah. Because well, the dirt comes out. Well, yeah. the, if, you know what? I, I don't think there was any dirt in there that uh, that is going to make anyone upset, other than the people who no, should be I upset. Haven't, <laughs> I haven't told any no. tales out of school. No, uh, uh, we do know what you what kind of costume you wore yesterday, though. <laughs> that's it. That's true. that's fine. That's on Facebook now. Too, oh, okay. So. Well then, picture on Facebook if anyone wants to go look. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.